Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, this evening, we are going to be finishing... No, we're not going to be finishing off. Uh, we're going to be continuing in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to open up chapter 4. We're going to read from verses 1 to 9. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. So opening up Philippians chapter 4 and verses 1 to 9. They might pop up on the screen. Perfect. Thank you. And they read from verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Exhortation, encouragement and prayer. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Sintek to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your message to us this evening. Lord, would your presence be upon us? Would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? Would you rebuke us? Lord, you are incredible. We thank you for your word. Amen. So we're coming towards the end of the book of Philippians. We're entering into the final chapter, chapter 4. And we're reading something here about the idea of worrying. And Paul's asking of them and showing to them why they shouldn't worry. And I couldn't help but think, but if anybody has a reason to worry, it is a friend, the Apostle Paul. We can see here that his friends in Philippi were disagreeing. We know that this whole letter was written for this reason, because there was a problem. And the problem stems from whatever is the argument we see between Euodia and Syntyche. Whatever it is, we're not told. But we know that that was the issue of uh, whatever the division was going on in the church. They were disagreeing with each other, and he wasn't there to support them. Again, we have no idea what this division was, but we know that it was an important division, whatever it was. It was something that was significant that they were facing. We know as well that Paul was facing division as well among uh, the believers in Rome. And added to this, the possibility any day of his own death, Paul had great reason to worry. But he didn't. Instead, what he gives us is he takes the time to speak to us. He takes time to explain the secret to victory over worry. And this evening, that's what I'd like us to look at. Can we open the first picture? No, is it not there? Okay. Um, Three years ago, Victoria and I went with a group of four others uh, to Israel. We took some time. There was only... Well, four plus two is six. So there was only six of us. So we hired a car and we were with uh, Alistair Black, 
Um, and he took us round and again, incredible, incredible knowledge of all these sites. So we spent time going around and we went and took some time uh, and entered into Palestine. Now, we went the night before we were sitting uh, at a hotel in the Sea of Galilee and this was at the height of when things were getting quite bad. And number five on BBC World News, the fifth headline was Alistair showing us this picture of um, a rocket launcher going through the cafe in Bethlehem that we were hoping to have lunch in the next day that never happened. So we entered into Palestine to see a couple of sites. We were also going to, to look at an organisation that worked with some of the refugees. Um, so we did this. We were going to this, this place called Nablus. We had hired a car. Uh, in Palestine, you don't really want to be white people in an Israeli-registered vehicle in Palestine. So we were in this vehicle with our, with our Palestinian guide and we started to drive back to Nablus and the border crossing was fun, every border crossing is fun um, in Israel and we took some time and we came and he said you know there might be a little bit of trouble as we get in here so we just kind of need to keep our heads down and we'll just keep driving and we'll get in and lo and behold you, over this hill you just see this orange glow and we get over this hill and I'm quite intrigued and there's just all these tyres everywhere being burnt, both sides of the roads with barricades everywhere and on one side of the road you have this incredible array of essentially American military things just tank upon tank and soldier upon soldier and gun upon gun and then on the other side you've got these guys running around in balaclavas with stones throwing them at soldiers lighting fires all this stuff going on and we were driving through the middle of it by this time Victoria and I weren't engaged and I, do you know, it was kind of that moment where I was like, well, I better tell her everything I think about her now, because here we go, this is what we were going for. So I was like, I might as well tell her everything now. So I started going, do you know, I was petrified, absolutely petrified. And I was like, Victoria, if this is the end, I love you, and this is great, and we're going to make it through this. And I turn around, and there's Victoria. <laughs> Snoring away. Snoring away in this car as we are driving through with stuff going on everywhere as I am absolutely terrified as with the others in the vehicle and there's Vic just like Jonathan shut up and let me sleep I was worried <laughs> I was very very worried and Victoria obviously wasn't and I want to focus on something of worry this evening I think it's interesting that the description that we're given of the two women uh, that we're given here we know that they're not false teachers we know that they're not deliberately trying to cause some kind of trouble. In fact, we know that Paul tells us they labored hard for the gospel. That they're true believers whose names are written in the book of life. This shows us something I think quite important as we start off. But this idea that disunity and problems in church often come from within, often come from the least suspecting places. Problems can arise from anywhere, and that's why it's really important that we're always vigilant. Problems don't need to be big to take hold. I don't get the impression from this situation that this is something that started off massive, but it's something that's festered away and has grown. So let's think a little bit about... Worry. I think it's quite interesting, but the literal translation of the word anxious in verse 6 means to be pulled in different directions. This idea that our hopes pull us in one direction and our fears pull us in another direction. And what happens is we end up being completely pulled apart by anxiety. We end up being completely pulled apart like the little yellow man. I don't know how many of you had these as kids, I had loads and they were absolutely awesome. They always ended up breaking, uh, which will help us illustrate this point. But 
there was worry and worry pulls us apart. The Old English root of the word worry means to strangle, which I think adds to this picture, this idea of being strangled and being pulled apart. I don't know if you've ever been really worried about something, but you have these kind of ideas, these things that are going backwards and forwards, the things that are pulling our minds apart, the things that feel like are strangling us, that we don't know what to do with. We know that worry can have physical consequences, headaches, neck pains, ulcers and even back pains. We know that worry affects everything. It affects our thinking. It can even affect our digestion and our coordination, apparently. Worry can affect every bit of us. And we have this idea of this little yellow man in this picture that's being stretched everywhere. He was made to be stretched. He was made to go in every direction. We weren't. Try and stretch us and it's not going to be very nice what happens. The whole point was you could stretch him and not break him. But if you let go too soon, it might be a little bit painful. But we weren't designed to be pulled apart like this little guy is. If our hopes pull us one way and our fears pull us another, it causes us problems. We find that our worry begins to consume us. From a spiritual point of view, worry comes from a wrong thinking in our mind. It comes from a wrong feeling in our hearts. It could be about anything. It could be about circumstances, about people, about issues we're facing, about things in the world. It doesn't matter, but all of worry steals joy. Do you know, it's not enough to tell ourselves, don't worry. Because if it was enough to tell ourselves, don't worry, we wouldn't worry. How often do we try and be that rational person? I like to think I'm fairly logical. And I like to take big situations and kind of break them down and the things that I need to do and try and logically do them. But there's some things that fear is just completely irrational over. There's things that no matter how much you put it into bite-sized trunks and you try and understand it, we don't understand worry. Worry is this inside job that comes inside of us. And it takes more than our good intentions To have victory over our worry. The antidote to worry that Paul offers us is this idea of having a secure mind. The peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we have a secure mind in Christ, the peace of God guards our hearts. The peace of God guides our hearts. With that kind of protection, why do we need to worry? I love verse 4 in this. We're going to focus from verse 6 down the way. But everything's framed through verse 4. Rejoice always, I tell you again, rejoice. The significance is written twice. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. This idea of worry versus rejoice. Rejoice, don't worry. The three things Paul offers us to combating Worry, the first we find in verses 6 and 7, and it is this idea of right praying, this idea of getting our prayer lives right. Verses 6 and 7 read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know this teaching on prayer has guided Christians for ever since it was written. 
Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. This pattern has been followed. And it's really helpful because Paul doesn't just say pray about it. But he breaks it down for us. He uses three different words to describe what right praying is. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. And right prayer involves all three of these things. The word prayer in general means to make known to God. But the first word prayer here that he uses, it carries this idea of adoration. This idea of devotion and worship to God. That tells us whenever we worry, the very first thing that we should do is spend time alone with God and worship God. Again, in times of worry, when it's things that face us, that seems illogical. It seems to make no sense. Surely we should be doing something to combat that worry. Surely we need to be doing something, but this is the best thing that we can do. Spend time with God. How often do we take that time? How often is our first reaction in the face of worry to go and spend time with God? Or actually is it a slightly lower down priority? Is praying when we're worried something that comes after we've tried our hardest to do everything that we can? It doesn't quite work and we're still worried. Then we come to God. Do you know, it's an incredible thing to declare God's truth. Just to sit before God and just show him your adoration. To sit and to tell our God that he is righteous, to tell our God that he is holy, to tell our God, to tell our God that he is sovereign, that he rules over everything. That our God is the beginning, the end, the alpha, the omega, the almighty, the all-powerful. There's something of a release in that, there's something beautiful in just replaying those words and knowing that everything's about God. And knowing that God has it all. How do we open The prayer in Matthew 6, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing we do is give adoration to God. Our Father who is in heaven, blessed be your name. All glory, all majesty, everything that you deserve, we give to you. Let this be the first thing that we pray. When we're worried, when we're struggling, let this be the first thing that we pray. God, hallowed be your name. Do you know, it's amazing that our God wants to hear our struggles. That he wants to hear the things we've done wrong, our worries, our strifes, and everything else that goes with that. But although we know that, how often do we struggle to do it? How often do we feel bad for coming before God with trivial things? We're like, do you know what, God doesn't care about this little thing. God doesn't care about what's worrying me today. God doesn't care about this problem I might face at work tomorrow or this problem I might have with my friends or this thing off in the future that might potentially be there but might not be. God doesn't care about that. But actually he does. God absolutely cares about that. Supplication, the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. How great is it that we serve a God that listens? That we serve a God that wants to hear what is on our hearts? A God that wants to hear the trivial things? A God that wants to hear about how nervous we are for our maths test tomorrow or how bothered we are about our relationship with our colleagues? How great is it that that is the God that we serve? And thanksgiving. A thankful prayer is a right prayer. God loves to hear our thanks. 
to take time to recall God's goodness, God's mercy. It's so important. It stops us from becoming selfish. It stops us from feeling this sense of entitlement or ungratefulness, but to give it all back to God because everything good that we have comes from him. How quickly can we develop this sense of entitlement? This idea that somehow I'm good enough that I deserve God. Somebody else doesn't, but somehow I do. How easy can we get swamped in our circumstances? We forget about the grace of God that is bestowed upon us. We forget about others. We forget about thankfulness. Do you know, we become worried. We become anxious. We become fearful. When we lose sight of God's wisdom, of God's power, and God's goodness. Do you know, we all somehow fear that God isn't wise enough, that God isn't strong enough, that God isn't good enough to prevent what's going to come. But the beauty of God is that he is. The beauty of God is that he is big enough to deal with these things, that he is big enough to journey with us and know every tiny little thing that we are going through. And the beauty of these three things that Paul gives us is if we reach out to God, if we worship God, if we come before him with our every need and if we come before him with a thankful heart, then we find verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know, on the day of our salvation, we made peace with God. We ceased to be enemies of God and become his children. Because of that, we are able to enjoy the peace of God. We are able to know the peace of God. To know the peace of God means that we know that his perfect wisdom, we know that his power, we know that all of this provides calm amongst the storms of life. Isaiah 26 verse 3 reads, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is talking of something of corporate peace. This idea of peace to Israel, the strong city of Jerusalem, verse 1. But the perfect peace that comes to those whose minds are focused on God. We find Paul's prayer for the Romans, that the God of hope would fill them with all the joy and peace in believing, Romans 15. There are so many examples in Scripture of peace being given to those who believe. And Isaiah 48, 22 shows us the opposite. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. There is no peace with God. There is no peace from God if we don't know God. I love these words. Peace will guard your hearts and your minds. Guard has these military connotations to it. Like an on guard soldier, this idea of God just guarding our hearts. Our hearts and our minds that are protected by God. So the first way we combat worry is we pray. And we pray properly in the ways that we are asked to pray to our God. We take time. We exalt God. We ask God. And we thank God. My first challenge to us tonight is how do we pray? How often do we pray? How quickly do we pray? How urgently do we pray? Because I think all of those are essential. 
The second thing we see in verse 8 in right thinking. Verse 8 reads, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul is coming into the climax of his teaching here. He's coming into really what he wants to say in all of this. But he tells us that that a wrong heart leads to wrong feelings. And before long, the heart and the mind are pulled apart and we're strangled with worry. How often does one part of us want something of the world and one part of us want something of Jesus? And we're caught in this cycle of difficulties and struggles with temptations and we're pulled apart by the two of them because we don't know, we do know which one to follow, but we don't really want to follow the one that we know we should follow. It comes with these realizations that our thoughts are so vitally, vitally important. Our thoughts are extremely powerful, they can't be weighed, they can't be measured. But we must bring, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul gives us a list of things to measure against what is right, to think about anything that's true, honourable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent and worthy of praise. Could you imagine if we filtered everything we did in life through that? How much of what we do would we do and how much of what we do would we not do in light of that? Imagine if this was the measure of how we spent our lives. Let's break it down a little bit. There's this popular survey from over 40 years ago that's often quoted by motivational speakers by a guy called Dr. Walter Calvert. And his survey indicates that only 8% of uh, things people worry about are legitimate concerns. The other 92 were imaginary, never happened, or involved matters in which people had no control over. 8% of things that people worry about are legitimate. According to this, we can take that with a pinch of salt. But we have this, we, we know the truth that Satan is a liar. A liar that seeks to corrupt. But that the spirit controls our minds through truth. 1 John 5, and it's the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. You know, so much of what surrounds our culture is lies. I'm so fed up with the two words of fake news. I hate those words so much. But they're kind of true in a sense because so much of what surrounds us is just nonsense. It's just fabricated. It's just made up rubbish. Another huge lie of our culture, especially to our young people, is image. Is this idea that we have to look a certain way and act a certain way and be a certain way. Not that that just applies to our young people, that applies to all of us. But there's these moulds that we need to conform ourselves to. But it's all lies. It's lies that try to get us to conform to the ways of the world. Whatever is true, don't be deceived by lies is what he tells us. Stick to what is true, to what is good. Stick to the encouragement and not the negativity. Learn. From the negative. But don't spend time in the lies. Honourable. Things that are worthy of respect. Things that are right. There are many things that are not respectable in this world. And we're told to stay away from them. 
That doesn't mean that we bury our heads in the sand and we turn the other way and pretend that they don't exist. We're never going to be able to avoid everything that's unpleasant and everything that's unpleasing to us. But it means that we don't focus our attention on it. It means that we don't focus our attention on the things that dishonor God. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Purity refers to something of a sexual purity. Keeping ourselves right before God. Lovely meaning things that are beautiful, things that are attractive in the eyes of God. What does God find beautiful? What does God find attractive? Things that honor him. And commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. If something is commendable, it should motivate us to do better. If it's worthy of praise, if it's worthy, commendable in front of God, that is what we should be seeking. That is what we should be looking for. None of us should be spending our time and our thoughts beating ourselves up and dragging ourselves down. And we certainly shouldn't be doing it to other people to tear them apart and to knock other people down. Do you know, if we focus our heart on the word of God, if we focus our heart on the truth of, that God has given to us, that he's revealed to us in his scriptures, we have this thing that is built into us in our conscience through understanding God and knowing what is right and wrong. Great peace have they which love the law. We find in Psalm 119. Right thinking only develops from a meditation with God, for spending time with God, for focusing on God. It doesn't just develop as we get older. We don't spend, I can't say between now and five years time, I'm all of a sudden going to be better at thinking. I'm going to be better at thinking on the things that Christ wants me to and not what I want to just because I'm older. But it takes time and it takes effort and it takes work. My second challenge to us, are your thoughts right? Husbands, wives, how do we think of our spouses? What sort of films and music are we exposing ourselves to? What sort of things are we looking at on the internet? Where did jealousy and lust and anger begin to creep into our lives? These are all incredibly important questions. Questions that we should be frequently asking ourselves. Whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I like this quote from Mark Twain, the author uh, of the Tom Sawyer uh, adventure books. He says this, What a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and his words. His real life is led in his head. And is known to none but himself. All day long the mill of his brain is grinding. And his thoughts, not those of other things, are his. I don't quite agree with him because yes, our words and our actions are very important. And they flow from our thinking. But this is a great point. Our lives are led primarily from our heads. What we do and what we say comes from what we feed ourselves with. Paul's not telling us it's about positive thinking and ignoring negative because that's exactly what he's not saying. But he's saying that we should focus on the truth of our God. How many great and encouraging statements are there for us to meditate on in Scripture? I am the way, the truth, and the light. 
I am the true vine. When I am weak, then I am strong. God will supply every need of yours. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Biblical truth. Great things for us to spend our time learning and meditating over. Making central to who we are. Because when that becomes central, everything else flows out of there. How much greater is it to fill our minds with these things than anything that this world can offer? And in verse 9, we find our third thing. This idea of right living. It says this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. What have you learned? What have you received? What have you heard? What have you seen in Christ Jesus? What is it that makes the cross of Christ so attractive? Do you know, we can't separate our actions from our attitudes. As Christians, sin should always have unrest in us. If we're okay with our sin, if we feel that we're okay with whatever's going on in our lives, there is a big problem there. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Isaiah 32, 17. Right living is necessary for us to experience the peace of God. Paul brings us four activities that we do as we try to live right lives before God. Learned and received, heard and seen. It is one thing to learn truth. It's important that we learn truth. But facts in our heads aren't enough. We know that. But we must also take those truths and engrave them on our hearts. In Paul's ministry, he wasn't just heard by those around about him. But he was also seen for his good works by those around him. It was evident all throughout his life, all throughout his teaching, that he showed who he was. That he was going to back up how he spoke with the way that he led his life. And that experience should be our experience. That the people that we claim to be as Christians is seen in the way that we live our lives. Do you know, orchestras fascinate me. Partly because I could never ever be talented enough to be part of one. But Victoria and I have got a friend, a couple who kind of mentored us for a while before we got married. Um, and our, our great friend Tony um, is now retired and has decided to do something a bit different. He loves to sail on his boat and he thought, I'm going to do something else. He decided to learn to play the cello. Tony didn't really have a musical bone in his body. Couldn't, couldn't play whatsoever. Um, but he doesn't really do things in half measures. He's not one of these guys that might play to grade three and learn how to play Ode Joy pretty poorly or something like that. But he's one of these guys that's like, do you know what, if I'm going to commit to this, we're going to do it. And now, I don't know how many years on, four or five years on, he's now part of the Perth Symphony Orchestra which I thought was quite impressive. But you know, Tony learned to play the cello and he learned to play it and continues to improve and play very, very well. The question is, how did he learn it? Did he read a book about cellos? Did he watch a video about cellos? Did he just stare at a cello and something magically happened? Yeah, all these things are, are helpful, probably not staring at it, but certainly learning about cellos is helpful. But it's not enough. You can't learn to play a musical instrument without touching a musical instrument. So he did it. He picked one up and thought, let's see what happens. Let's go for it. So he learned. 
He received knowledge from those that were round about him that were helping him to get better. He learned from those that were round about him. He heard and he recognised what he could do better and now he loves it. And now Tony is a fantastic and a great and a godly man and he is now also a brilliant cello player. Be like Tony. Learn. Receive. Hear. Pay attention to Jesus. Just like Tony paid attention to his cello. And the great thing as well is, you know, it teaches us that we're never too old. We're never too old to learn something new of Jesus Christ. What must we do with the learning and the receiving? Practice. Practice these things. Do something with it. How do we get better at things? We practice. You imagine if our primary one teachers sacked it every single time a kid couldn't write a letter right at the very first time of trying. It wouldn't work. How do we live right? We put what God has given us in a practice as best we can. And we don't do it very well and we try again. And we probably won't do it very well again and we try again. And continually we are on this journey of seeking to grow closer and closer to Christ. How can we expect God to be at work in us? If we're not practicing these things. If we're not seeking to grow in God. And the peace, and the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God is a test of whether or not we are in the will of God. It's a way to see, do we know peace? In Colossians 3.15, Paul writes, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Again, all of this framed in verse 4. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Continually, don't stop rejoicing. Do you know the peace of God? Right now in your life, do you know worry more than you know peace? Because I invite you this evening to this. The beauty of our God is that it's never too late to start again. The best time to start is now. To take time to get our prayer lives right. To take time to focus on how we think. To focus on what we let influence us. To focus in the way that we make decisions. In the ways that we live our lives. These are the conditions that we find for a secure mind and having victory over worry. Do you know I find it interesting that Philippians 4 is the, the peace chapter of the New Testament. In James 4, we find the complete opposite. We find this war chapter. James opens uh, uh, chapter 4 by saying, what causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? And in verses 3 to 8, he explains that the cause of war is wrong praying. You ask and you do not deceive because you ask wrongly. Wrong thinking in verse 8, he says, purify your heart, you double-minded, and wrong living. Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity to God? I think that's amazing that on one side we have peace and the other side we have war and we have these things that we have an option of how much work we want to put in here of how much we want to put in and the question that comes with that is how seriously do we take our relationships with Jesus? And there's no middle ground. That's the reality of it. There's no middle ground. We can't half-heartedly pray. We can't half-heartedly attempt to think and meditate on the things that God wants us to. We can't half-heartedly live right, but we're either all in or we're all out. There's right and there's wrong. 
Either we yield our lives in submission to Christ. We give our hearts to the Spirit of God and we practice these things. Or we yield ourselves to the flesh and we find ourselves like that little yellow man. But in a little bit worse of a state because we won't come back in again. We'll just fall apart. The beauty of this is there is no need to worry. And if you are tonight, if you're worried, I urge you, come to God in prayer. Take time because no amount of rationalizing worry will get us through worry. But spending time with God, giving it all to God, recognizing that, do you know what? God is bigger than me. God has got a plan in my life in a way that I don't understand, in a way that I can't see. But he knows and he sees. God promises us that the peace of his spirit will guard us and it will guide us. Let's let peace triumph over victory. Let's pray. Our God, there are so many things that worry us. There are so many things that can so easily pull us apart. There are so many ways in which we become scared, so many ways in which we lose focus on you. Lord, I ask that you would challenge us this week. Would we catch ourselves in those moments of worry and would we bring them before you? Would we ask that the God of peace would come and guide our hearts? Would you come and take away any sense of worry and things that are worrying us in a way that, that we cannot understand? In a way that surpasses all understanding like only your spirit can. You're a great and you're an incredible God capable of all things. Sovereign and almighty above all things. Yet you know every innermost detail of each of us. It is a privilege to gather together. It is a privilege to know you. It is a privilege to call ourselves the children of God. Lord, would you drive us? Would you motivate us? Would you help us to live lives that reflect something of the beauty of Christ? In your name we pray. Amen.